So what I'm trying to say in, in so many words is that, yeah, you know, on one hand, you know, schools say, yeah, you know, GMAT is just one part of the process. We don't look at it the other. But the other hand is they have to provide the statistics of their class to rankings uh, publications, such as the Financial Times, U.S. News, Bloomberg Business Week, Poets and Fonts, Forbes, Economist, all of that. I mean, they all have different methodologies. And so if all of a sudden, you know, I'm working in admissions, I'm meeting so many great candidates that maybe didn't do well on the GMAT for whatever reason, but, you know, have tremendous work experience. I know that they have, I have evidence that they'll be able to do well in the program and, and do well afterwards and get a job. But for my, you know, in terms of my, you know, marketing of the school and the rank, it's not gonna, it's not gonna do so well. And then it becomes that vicious circle because then people are like, oh, well, I don't wanna apply to that school anymore because that dropped in the rank. So it's a very, very um, delicate kind of balancing act for that. Hello, everybody. My name is Jeremy Francesi. Thank you for tuning into First Floor Conversations, where the view at the top is only as good as the foundation which preserves it. Today on episode 31, we're joined by Barbara Coward. She's an admissions consultant, uh, is helping place people, masters, and MBA into their dream schools, whether it's UPenn, whether it's Harvard, whether it's UCLA, everywhere, back again, trying to figure out the approach, the messaging, and the overall application process so that if it's the right choice, you have the best chance and the right at bat. And so was really looking forward to this. Um, Barbara, thanks so much for taking some time. Um, before we kick things off and really dive in, um, I'd love to set the stage and kind of get an understanding of kind of how you got into the educational consulting space, um, get us up to speed on you, and then we'll have some fun. Sounds great. Well, first of all, thank you for the opportunity to, to chat with you this afternoon. This, I'm looking forward to it. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things where I think a lot of people, as their careers evolve, you end up in places you didn't really think you would end up in. And certainly that was the case with me in my early career. I was working in corporate finance in downtown Boston and financial services, traveling to New York for our uh, client and uh, in the mutual fund industry. And just life circumstances, started a part-time MBA in Boston, um, which was nice back then. My, the company paid for it. And then personal reasons brought me over to the UK, and I finished my MBA on a full-time basis. And then um, kind of got pivoted to the education sector. Uh, and then from there, you know, stayed in that in a couple different institutions, uh, educational and business schools, working in admissions, working in marketing, recruitment, traveling different places to recruitment fairs. And then um, just got the, the bug, so to speak, to, to start off on my own and uh, work with candidates applying to business school. And it's really gratifying because when you're working in admissions and you're receiving the application and you're reviewing the resume and essays, it, you know, it's almost sometimes you wanna, you kind of squinch a bit and you're like, oh, if this person only had done this instead or put this instead. And so it's kind of nice being on this side because we can help guide the process uh, in the beginning uh, for, the, for the candidate. And everything is, you know, um, you know always completely 100% in the candidate's applicant's voice. Um, so it's just basically thinking, okay, well, you know, I know that you told me this story about you. You know, that seems like that would be something that would be valuable to have in the cohort experience. Maybe you should talk about that in your essay. And so that's, uh, that's the support that we do. No, it's really interesting. One of the things you touched on when we when we talked yesterday, which like for me resonated a lot, was you kind of look at yourself as as a lawyer, as an attorney, where it's let's let's gather the information and build the best case if it's the right thing to do. And so I'm very curious though, and, and what you've shared and even some of the articles you've put out on LinkedIn, it speaks to, you know, how there's so many options now. And if you're thinking about it, starting to figure out where do I want to go? Is it 
top 10 or it's bust? Is it not worth it if I don't go to Harvard? Like, there's so many questions nowadays. And I'd love to better understand, as you just alluded to, you've been on the back end of it and the front end of it. And Mm -hmm. I'm curious, what's evolved over the last 10, 15 years uh, from an applicant standpoint and from what schools are looking for in a master's or an MBA candidate? Um, I would definitely say, you know, um, over the course of the last 10 to 15 years, um, having a global mindset is very important. Um, cross-cultural sensitivities, we're working in a borderless economy. Um, I know, you know, my work is somewhat unique, but, you know, I was connecting with people in South Africa and Chile and, you know, the West Coast of the U.S. and all over um, India yesterday, and that's just kind of a day in the life, so to speak. Um, but that's true for, you know, professionals in, in any organization. It's, it's really you're collaborating with team members all over the world. Um, and then to that effect, I will say the soft skills is something that is definitely sought after for business schools. Um, there is, you know, a, a emphasis on teamwork. And that's what businesses rely on to get things done these days. And you have to be a, a good team player and know how to work um, through people and with people to achieve um, goals and understand situations from another person's perspective. I think that's one of the toughest things that we do um, or have to learn how to do because you know we just grow up in our own world and we see things the way we see it. Well, if you're collaborating with a colleague, you know, for whatever reason, they might have a different view of the world. And if you're trying to get something done in a project with them, you really have to see the world from, from their eyes. So really those soft skills, communication, empathy, compassion, kindness um it's all of that 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 really uh talks about it i'm very impressed with one business school well with many business schools but one in particular um with tough business school because they do emphasize the tough uh, at dartmouth mm-hmm. for smart leaders wise leaders um who are nice and that's one of the essay questions you know t- tell us about how you're nice and that's above and beyond like hey i bought you know a piece of candy for you know kid Right behind me in line at the grocery store it's more of like it's always easy to be nice in general when the heat is off and you have nothing else going on when you're under stress when you have deadlines when you have you know working with the different people how do you be that way? How, how can you be that way when you also have again pressures and expectations and and numbers and, and bottom lines to, to, to strive for. So they really, certainly, as I mentioned with Tuck, um, the letters of recommendations for NYU Stern emphasize emotional intelligence. Um, so that's something you probably wouldn't have seen about 20 years ago. Um, and that's definitely much more, uh, much more, you know, not that it wasn't valued, but it's more valued today more than ever. Makes perfect sense. And so would you, would you, would it be fair to make the argument that it's, it's, the, the value on a GMAT or a GPA is less significant compared to maybe testimonial or, or experience on the other side. When, we, when I polled you know, friends and people that listen, some of the key things they asked about was, if I, you know, what's more important, great GPA or great work experience or, and things like that? So with emotional intelligence being so important, what, how's that shifted the, the, the more tactical test taking in that part of the application? So that's a really interesting question, and there's a lot of different facets to the answer, in all honesty. Um, you know, schools, by and large, will say, you know, it's, they, and I've said this in the past myself, are looking for a holistic appreciation of a candidate. So it's not your test scores or your GPA with, are more important than work 
experience or vice versa or you know letters of recommendation or extracurricular activities or, or whatever but the fact of the matter is <laughs> because I'm trying to think of the best way to explain this but because the product of business school is an intangible and it's a if you will a luxury product in some ways that Absolutely. the the um, signals that come from that uphold the the stature of that product so what i'm trying to say in in so many words is that yeah you know on one hand you know schools say yeah you know gmat is just one part of the process we don't look at it the other but the other hand is they have to provide the statistics of their class to rankings uh publications such as the financial times u.s news bloomberg business week poets and fonts forbes economist all of that i mean they all have different methodologies and so if all of a sudden you know i'm working in admissions and i'm meeting so many great candidates that maybe didn't do well on the gmat for whatever reason but you know have tremendous work experience i know that they have i have evidence that they'll be able to do well in the program and, and do well afterwards and get a job but for my you know in terms of my you know marketing <laughs> Of right. the school and the rank, it's not gonna it's not gonna do so well. And then it becomes that vicious circle because then people are like, oh, well, I don't want to apply to that school anymore because that dropped in the rank. So it's a very very um, delicate kind of balancing act for that. That's very in and it it's very interesting. It's hard, but it also does prove the fact of you, you have to have a well balanced package. And and so I, yes. one thing I'm curious about, I, you know, one of my one of my closest friends has been contemplating this process in, in an MBA for a while more than a master's, and part of his dialogue out you know externally and even clearly with himself is preparing to apply right do you find that the process given that there's maybe three waves of interviews it's it's open ended when you build your story and your application how far in advance do you typically recommend somebody starts to prepare like could i wake up in january and be like i'm going to apply this fall or would that be short sighted so, you know, it's interesting. I'm going to probably um, go a little rogue from <laughs> the rest of my industry on, on this because, you know, this the standard line and, and it's certainly warranted is that, you know, you do want to take your time. You know, it's not something you want to wake up in the morning and then dash out a resume and submit it and, you know, zip out an essay and, and all that. You right. do want to, to think about it, think what school is the best fit, think about you know, some of the essay questions are so thought provocative. I mean, Stanford GSB is what matters to you most and why is one of their essay questions. Now, I guess you could kind of sit down and tap that out, you know, in, in an afternoon, but if you really want a heartfelt answer and authentic um, response and, and really meaning, you know, have a lot of meaning to it, that comes from, you know, thinking about that question while you're running one day or you're folding laundry the next day or, you know, it kind of marinates through through that. So, um, you know, it's, it's, so while it does, you know, you don't want to do it, you know, at, at the drop of a, a pin or whatever the expression is for that. I do think, and this is my personal view, that our industry has kind of overstated, I don't know if that's the correct word, in terms of I think it, it makes it more complicated than it needs to be. So mm -hmm. I, I think there's a, a sense of like, okay, if you don't start in January to apply in September, forget it. There's no way you're going to apply. And we right. live in a world of, um, which we're trying to balance with education too, of instant gratification. And, you know, mm -hmm. it, it, the schools have their cycles of their, their rounds. You know, round one is due at this point, round two is coming up early January, round, you know, three March or April. Well, 
that's that creates my system for the school and having a, a flow of when to review applications and kind of count your ducks in terms of how many students you're going to get in for the for the next year but it's doesn't necessarily align with an individual's life. I mean, who says that you're, you're at work one day and all of a sudden you're going to decide to advance your career three months before the round one deadline? It just doesn't work that way. It, it happens at any moment. Things happen in your life too that it can prompt a, a, a change of circumstance. So I think we make it harder than it needs to be. I think, you know, I think you can, um, you know, get out a very good application in a matter of I'm hesitant to say the, the, the length because I'm sure some people will disagree Months. with me, but well, and, yeah. And, and it doesn't need to be, you know, set in stone. I think the, the principle is understanding, and this kind of leads into the next thing I'm very curious about, is is it also matters why you're thinking about going to get your MBA. Like, we talked about this yesterday, and like I, you know, some friends and, and some people I know, like, and if they're listening, Mazel Tov, hello. Like, they're going because, like, they didn't feel the, the receipt from their undergrad. They never paid for it. And so, like, I'm going to get my MBA. And it's, like, things are different. Like, I, I, I talked to my folks and, and um, you know, what they – I mean, they went to – they get their undergrad and it was maybe $6,000 a year. And they went – they didn't go to a big public school, you know. And it was – you know, they went to Conn College, which is a great school up in Connecticut. And um, But it was one of those things that $6,000 for the full year, I mean, I wouldn't be able to step in and buy – I couldn't buy a book for $6,000. You know, like, the, ga- yeah, the yeah. world has evolved. And so why we're doing things matters. And I'm very curious because you serve such a – such a vast array of candidates from international to you know statewide probably somebody that's saying you know i want to i had a really specific like i'm trying to achieve this goal and then you have the opposite of somebody saying i don't really know but i'm thinking about this and then you indulge in the dialogue why do you find people do explore secondary degrees like a master's or an mba so i think a lot of it is more um it's deeper than than what you see on websites you know i i I want career advancement i want to make more money i want to pivot to another industry that's certainly all part of it but by and large what does that distill down to the status quo isn't working for me anymore for some reason i'm going into work every day and you know what i'm kind of bored and what am i going to do next and it doesn't look like a lot of opportunities where i am to move into another you know area or you know something? I just met somebody who works in this really cool job, or you know, works you know at Apple right. in Seattle, and you know, or I'm sorry, Amazon, <laughs> Amazon <laughs> in Seattle, and um, is you know, I'd love to try that. So so really, it gets to the point where the 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 present is not as attractive as what right. the future could be, and it's a very hard. And I think that's why you know you hear about application trends going up and down, and there's all sorts of different reasons for that. But I think it's a really, really tough and hard decision because you're making a decision with incomplete information. So it's yeah. not like somebody's coming to you and says, hey, if you go this route, this is where you're going to end up for sure. You don't know. And then how can you make a decision based on what you don't know? But also, you know, I kind of flip it around in terms of, you know, what's the cost of missing out on something? And one thing that I have seen in terms of the benefits of doing an MBA, specialized master's, you know, just advancing your education with a master's degree is expanding that network, expanding that knowledge that can lead to the next thing, whatever that is, even if you don't know what it is. You know, it, it, I just read today, as a matter of fact, that the new uh, CEO of, uh, oh, it's gonna escape me right now. I just, uh, you're gonna have to edit this part out, but it was, uh, no, <laughs> One of the, the, the main restaurants, I'll, I'll check it again, for, is an Emory graduate. And mm-hmm. 
you know, he's now CEO of this big restaurant. I mean, I, I doubt he would have known that when he was applying to, to school, but obviously, you know, the education and I'm sure right. the um, connections kind of led up to where he is now. Now, could you do it without the degree? Possibly, but it also serves in a, as a um, career accelerator and also knowing, again, going back to what you don't know, you know, the common phrase is, hey, if I could look back at my life in 10 year, from 10 years ago and know what I know today, I'd do some things differently. Well, that's what you get in an MBA classroom because you have people in the classroom from a diverse um, area of, of experiences and, and backgrounds. And so, you know, they'll be like, hey, you know, I went through the situation at work, you know, maybe you haven't gone through it yourself, but if you do in the future, you've got that, you know, that data point in your mind of how to handle something. And, and if something, you know, I just think the workplace, right, wrong, or otherwise, can be very precarious. And mm -hmm. you know, one slip up, and I don't mean slip up and means like you have to be perfect, but you know, one thing that is not handled well, you know, a, a flash of insensitivity or something can really derail, you know, your work, your career, everything. And, and we certainly Absolutely. have seen that with leaders. Um, you know, look at the United <laughs> issue that, we, right. that was uh, with the passenger on the plane a while ago. And so those are the things where it's like, okay. I have my toolkit. I know what I know what not to do, and that can be just as valuable as knowing what to do. Absolutely. Well, and, and that and so it's networking. It's it's the the actual knowledge you accumulate. I think both those are typically drivers. Obviously, to your point, um, I I actually didn't account for the fact that your classroom environment's a micro case study of its own, given that you're with people from all like stages of life. I guess is the best way to put it. Right, and so somebody may be going back to get their MBA because their employer says you can't have the senior management role unless you get an MBA, and maybe maybe they are at a point where they're forty, and rather than being twenty six after your undergrad, a couple of years of work, you get to see somebody that maybe has had six jobs before, maybe has had to lay somebody off. You you get this real intimate understanding of what other types of ex experiences are out there. That's super interesting, and and it kind of ties into the fact. I mean, is is it financially worth it? You know, or better yet, it, when is it not? And I think something that really a lot of people wanted to hammer in on and, and being cognizant of time, I know you have, you know, you want to jump off and I want to make sure we rattle off some of the more crowdsourced yeah. questions. But um, I think financially it's, it's, it's so much money a lot of the times that there's mm -hmm. so many layers to that question. I think the first thing is getting a master's or an MBA, if you don't go to a top 10 school, is mm -hmm. it worth it? And on the other hand, does it matter if you even go to a top 10 school at all? Like, does it matter where I get my MBA nowadays? Is it just getting the MBA in general? Like, when it comes to the money, how, how do you see that? When you're working with clients, how do you advise them accordingly? Yeah, so, you know, again, it depends who, whom you ask. If you ask a dean of a top 10 school, they'll probably say it's not worth it. And I know some have in the past. Uh, I've actually said that in, in, in the media. You know, if you don't go this to a school like this. I mean, they haven't said it that way per se, but it's basically that those are the schools that will survive when the market tightens up. Um, right. Because there's that demand for that, that brand. But, you know, I have it in terms of my own experience and evidence working with people who have gone to some schools that, you know, you would never really hear of that are local or local part time programs and it has provided the return. Now, again, it depends on your definition of what's a return and what's valuable. You know, some people with whom I work, um, particularly from overseas, want to get that, you know, I call it the designer, the designer degree. You know, right. it has to be from Harvard, it has to be from Wharton or Stanford or, or forget about it. And that person is going to be a different person than somebody who is working, you know, um, perhaps in, I don't know, 
Um, yeah, middle management. They want to make a career Ireland. change. Yeah, yeah and, and they just really, yeah, and they have that, you know, the regional reputation and they want to make life better again because you don't have to have that, you know, I always kind of smile when I read all the schools that have like, our, you know, our alumni population is, you know, 64,000 accounting. I'm like, well, that's great, but chances are I'm not going to tap into everyone. And, you know, you don't need to have that star power kind of world, you know, kind of global connection alumni base. It's helpful if, you, if you're somebody who's going to be traveling. But if you plan to stay in your city of, you know, like I said, Charlotte or I'm in Baltimore, um, the then going to a regional program, you're going to, you're going to, it's going to serve you well for that. I because I, I do have friends that are wondering, like, well, if I don't get into Georgetown, you know, is it worth it for me? And it's and that's where I reverse engineer. Well, what's the point of going? And that begs the yeah. question, you know, if it's upwards mobility, right? Do you find that there's a connection between masters and MBAs for clients, like even the ones you're working with, or just generally in this in the space? Do people that have those degrees typically accelerate their movement up? Is that what? What do you find in common along just? the correlation between degrees and career and, and growth upward mobility, I guess, is the right way to put it. Yep. And, and so we have to thank the uh, rankings organizations for this because uh, many of them will have a column on, you know, what was your salary at graduation versus three months, you know, after that and, and three years after that. So that's, uh, I don't financial times has it has an index on that. So they're, they're kind of being the police, you know, the police people in, in terms of observed watch, watchdog, if you will, and, and making sure that there's a, there's a good return of that. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, life is, you know, it's expensive to, to have a house or raise a family and, and you want right. to keep doing better for yourself. So that definitely is. And there's, there's definitely, you know, studies by the Graduate Management Admissions Council that I've seen in terms of, you know, the return and the payback and all of that. So that, that data that is all out there. But what I would say is that there's another aspect that doesn't get covered as much, and that is career satisfaction and meaning in life. If you're in a job you don't want to be in, and you're just going through the motions, and you're going to work every day, and then back again the next day or whatever, you're not having a great life. And you know how much would you pay? I mean, what price can you put on happiness or satisfaction or meaning? And so a lot of people are, are looking at the MBA to have more meaning in their life to say, you know something, I'm working as an accountant right now and that's all fine and good, but you know what? My passion is this particular industry. I would love to get into the, you know, the music industry or whatever. And, and again, that's, that's, that's the outcome for it. I, I find it interesting because again, I think on the front end, there's an expectation that it's all gonna be a tra trajectory going upwards. And I just saw today an alum from Cambridge uh, Business School in, uh, in the UK, who basically had worked, you know, top job, great career, and then gave it all up to like ride his motorcycle around the world. Um, <laughs> and I think he's going back to his uh, consulting job afterwards. But, you know, right. I think it's the freedom and the flexibility to do what you want to do, to, to give you the wherewithal so you can be in the driver's seat rather it's, than you it's being- trans It's a transferable stamp of approval, so to speak. Saying yeah. if you're an accountant, great. You, you apply to summer, it's like, I have a transferable set of skills that make me relevant or valuable. Yep. God, what, what, are your, what are your thoughts for the dual degrees? Um, I have a good friend who's in biotechnology, and one of the things he's looking into is getting a master's because he wants to go deeper in the sciences, but it's invaluable to have some connection to the business ecosystem and that ability to have a dual program. Um, any thoughts or concerns? Any th I, that's, very big of, that's a blind spot for me, um, but I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on, on dual programs. Well, it's interesting because Harvard Business School is, has launched a new um, biotech life science dual degree with their MBA oh, wow. program. 
Um, so it's perfect timing. You should uh, she should check it out. Yeah. Um, and uh, but I've I've seen that they also had a, a joint uh, engineering degree. I'm always seeing new new joint degrees come, come up. Um, anything that helps you stand out and provides additional knowledge is always a good thing. And I, I'll go back to something I was saying earlier about the ability to see things from another person's perspective. I mean, so if you're doing a, you know, a, a joint degree or a technical degree and you can understand how a coder or an IT professional views a situation and then how it's viewed on the business side with the MBA and you have both of that, yeah. you're you're a long way to achieving, to becoming a leader and seeing things from another person's point of view and knowing how to influence based on how they see the world. No, I, so, I, it makes no. perfect sense. The question is if, it, if it's too much of a divided set of attention, right? Like, and, but that's, it depends on the skill set probably. Yeah, I, you know, I just kind of think of the world that we're in now, <laughs> the digital age. I mean, there's so many things competing for our attention that um, I think it's pretty a good skill to have to uh, to to be able to kind of jump in and jump out and jump in and ju jump out of, of different worlds. So, um, but if you have no interest, you know, you know exactly what you want to do and you want to become like, you know, consumer goods, you know, product manager, you know, working for whatever company, then, you right. know, it's like, okay, do I really need this? But if you're, you know, working, I would say with the engineering, again, with healthcare, those are two, um, also see a law, a lot of joint, like uh, yeah. law degree as well. Um, so, you know, a, a, it's, if it's amenable to how you study and how you learn, absolutely, I think it can only help you. Okay, no, that, that makes, it makes sense. Right. And so as we look at the, the, the 10 minute mark, I, I want to ask one question to like kind of expand on. And then I think it'd be fun just to rattle through some of the more specific ones um, that are more tactical. Right. And, and I think like, get, like even if it's cut a little short, um, love the opportunity to circle back in a year, see where things are at and, and expand on the doc, on the conversation. But um, what are typically the shortcomings of an applicant? when they when they come to you that to prepare or sort through the decision of i think i want a master's or an mba and they start to put their application together what are typically the weaknesses you see in them before you put your touch on it and consult them to prepare them to to enter the school's evaluation process so you might be surprised by this answer but i would say underselling yourself the lack of confidence you know just what you talked about at the top like you know, look at these great, this GPA I have, I don't think I'm good enough to apply for this or my GMAT or whatever. And I think it's such an intimidating process. These brands, particularly the ones at the top are so big and have such a strong presence. And, you know, you, you think about the people who go there and the esteemed alums, et cetera. Um, and you're just like, how can I compete with that? And I think the, the first thing is, it's almost like I joke with some of my clients that I'm like, okay, we have to work on hashtag operation confidence before we go anything further. <laughs> you know, you right. really, you really be in this program. It's going to be competitive to get in, but yeah, you have what it takes and everything I've seen from our conversations is worth going forward. So I think that is one of the biggest obstacles. I think we, we all tend to look at our flaws more than our assets. And it's kind of neat once I, you know, work with candidates from my own perspective and I see, you know, kind of go through the process where they start working on their essays or they do a bio and they're like, yeah, that's, I sound pretty good. <laughs> and um, right. I think that goes a long way. So I, I, I would definitely say that's, that's part of it. Would you ever turn people away? Not necessarily as a client, but saying, I don't think this is the right path for you. Um, I wouldn't say necessarily turn people away, but I think probably it's just 
the conversation just kind of dissipates from that. We'll have an initial conversation and then right. go from there. Um, I think the biggest question too is the right time and the right okay. schools. Um, and when I say right schools is that, you know, some people have only in their mind, you know, a particular brand or, you know, a couple of brands that they want to apply to. And there could be another school that could do, you know, be a wonderful fit. And it's, it's basically an educational process to mm -hmm. say, hey, have you, have you thought about that? Um, but um, at the end of the day too, I mean, all of us and what we do in our industry, we're not looking to like, let's see how many clients we can get and get as many people into business school. That's not at all. We, this is why we do this because we love the stories. We love working with the people. We love seeing the professional development and, and what can be achieved. So um, it's spending a lot of time on that front end to say, you know what, is this a good good way to go? Maybe there's another way you can go about getting the right thing. It's, there's a lot of career advice that, that gets wrapped up into it as well. No, it makes makes perfect sense. So let's uh, let's rattle a couple off. I'm just going to look over. There's there's a, a a handful of questions that that were submitted. I kind of sifted through ones that were more or less the same. Um, let's see what we got. How so? We've touched about the GMAT a little bit, but when when approaching the GMAT, what um what kind of what what advice would you give? I mean, obviously, it's important to have a well-rounded application. But what is the what is the purpose of and like how do you prep for the GMAT um, as as somebody that's maybe never taken it before and your first time like how do I approach studying? Yep. So there's a whole industry <laughs> that's that's available to to to, um, to help. And I'll just preface that by saying you know you have a choice um, of mostly two tests, sometimes three. So it could be the GMAT, the GRE. So the biggest decision is which one of the two do you want to take. And then there's two business schools, Columbia and NYU Stern for their full-time program that accept the executive assessment test, which has been newly adopted by executive MBA programs at a lot of schools, but hasn't really been rolled out yet to a lot of full-time programs. Um, I've heard from people who have taken it that it's a little easier to study and it's a little less taxing to do. So that's, you know, but you're limited in terms of the schools that accept it. So I think the first thing to do is figure out, you know, which test is best for you. And then, you know, again, if, you know, you're not going to go into the Olympics without having in a coach, a coach to help you, you know, whether you're ice skating or skiing or whatever. And um, there is a very, very big industry. Um, there's some people who I know personally, who I, you know, you know, vet and I personally recommend and it's not just anyone, but um, I would definitely say work with a coach um, who knows, like, who can take the temperature and say, okay, this is what your transfer is, this is what your background is, this is where I think we can get you to to go and, and really have that that plan in place. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, it's like, you know, I wouldn't go to the Olympics without having a coach. Um, right. I wouldn't go through this process without having some support. Now, having said that, some people, you know, prefer not to work with somebody per se, and they can, you know, there's online tools as well. Um, and I know the GMAT test prep um you know, has, has a resource online to do test prep as well and books and or whatever you do, just do your, you know, do your, uh, your homework your and, and uh, be prepared for it. Yeah. How, how can I strengthen my application if I do have a lower GPA and maybe I don't do great with tests? What are some, some things I can do to make that overall story more compelling when yeah. I apply to these schools? So put yourself, pretend you're an admissions officer <laughs> and you're sitting right there and you're looking up, you know, on your screens, somebody's application comes through and you see, and it's, you see the GPA and you're like, oh, it's kind of below our average. I'm not sure. What's going through your mind? There's a couple things going through your mind. One is what happened? 
you know, maybe there was, you know, some, some movement around in the different semesters. So you're, so you're trying to figure out what's behind it. Um, but you're also looking for evidence that if you admit this person to the program, that they're going to be successful in it. Because the last thing you want to do is have somebody in the program for their sake and everyone's sake to be in there and to struggle. So, you know, it's almost like, you know, you have a finance professor that you know, you know, um, in mind, in your head when you're reviewing, you're like, okay, would this person be happy if this person was accepted into the program? Would, would they be able to, to do the work? Because I've been in situations where faculty members will come into the admissions and like, how the heck did you admit this person? They're struggling. And, and that's not a very comfortable experience, you know, to, to be honest. Um, so, you know, it's all about providing that evidence. And, you know, you can't change your GPA. You can't go back and do it. But you can do some other things. You can take an online class um, to do that. You can... Um, Oh, yeah, like I said, you can do an online class, you can, you know, maybe have a letter of recommendation from a faculty member that, you know, provides a, a testament to an ability that wasn't particularly strong on, on your transcript. Um, you could decide to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to take, you know, kind of a micro course before I do this or, you know, just, you know, doing an executive education program or, you know, a short five, five week you know, the study, study course, whatever you want to do, just something so you actually have that evidence when the admissions officer is looking at your profile and your application to say, yes, this person will be okay and will do a work. Because if you don't have any, you're, if you don't have that in front of you, your mind will just make things up. You know, it's like, okay, mm -hmm. if that GPA is low and that's all the evidence I have, I guess this person's not going to be good, but you need something to mitigate that to, to right. show it. And I think that's ultimately where you come into play is helping to build the case. You start to figure out what other ingredients can we put in this dish to make it more palatable because I think some people, to your point originally, it's like they're not as confident coming into it. Maybe they're not sure which way to go. The lack of clarity, the lack of certainty reduces their ability to really dig into the, the IQ and the EQ filing cabinet of what they have available to think about what else do I have that makes me unique or valuable. At the end of the day, they want to. They want applicants that that make them look good. So when they deploy it into the workforce, it's a mar little micro marketing ambassador, right? Oh yeah, right. Yeah, and you so know, if 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 um, if Deloitte is recruiting from your school, you know, and they have a couple people who are great and don't hire, but then the couple who don't, you think they're going to come back to the school and continue to recruit there? No, they're going to go to the other business school down the street, and and you don't want to have it. So it's a much uh, it's a very integrated process, shall we say, with, yeah. with, with that. Absolutely. We got two minutes. We can wrap up. And um, okay. this was this was awesome. And, and I, I really appreciate it. I think a couple of things, just even taking the notes, there's a couple, like, there's like, three things that, that kind of stood out more than anything. And for people listening, it's apply with the other side in mind. Everything yep. we do, you should have context to how it's being received. It, that yep. doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's a first date, if it's an interview, it's the sales call, like, communicate with the intent of understanding how it's being received and it'll make it yes. easier to build your case. Um, Absolutely. Emotional intelligence has never been more important. People want to yeah. understand how you impact and how you're involved in the people around you. If you're a lone wolf, that's not a bad thing, but it certainly matters when the training and the knowledge and the network you're building is predicated on and expected to be deployed into a team-based environment. How you interact yes. with people really matters. And I'm sure yeah. that's where you can help people build the story of having an example and context and ways to share with people. I'm not saying I'm nice. It's this is in a situation where I displayed these characteristics that are who I am, right? Yep. 
And I think the other thing is is having a coach matters and 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 talking early about it, right? If you want to go to Georgetown or Harvard or maybe you want to stay local and stay close to family and just get a great degree and learn and skill up a little bit, I look at it as like, what's my stock price at? If it was Jeremy Incorporated, is my stock price going up? Not how much money am I making, but how valuable am I to friends, family, relationships, and the businesses I own or I work for? And so if you talk to somebody that can coach you that's been on the front end and the back end, which is why I think you're uniquely qualified and why I I appreciate you taking time because you know both sides of it so we can navigate accordingly. And um, I always always look at it like like – I heard this from a mentor when I was younger. If I had to drive from from Washington, D.C. to California – there's no way to go if you're driving except 200 feet at a time. So, right. <laughs> so it's understanding there is a fast way to get there if you navigate with the view and the macro because a degree off and you end up in Oregon, right? But yep. no matter how you approach it, it's 200 feet at a time. And from the sounds of exactly. it, the application process is very similar. And so find somebody that yeah. knows the way and, and then take it step by step. And so Very much so. Otherwise, um, it's, it can be overwhelming. There's just there's so many options, so many schools, and all that, and it's just breaking it down into to, to parts of that. So absolutely. And 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 don't because lots of people do it every year. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. It, it certainly is, and I'm sure the process. You had an article back in June. You put out that it was just there's so many options now. It's paralysis by analysis. People look at thousands of MBA programs or masters and like I I, I guess I just they, they don't do anything. They don't yeah. they don't start right and and so. Yeah. Um, it's super interesting. And so I want to respect your time and get you on, on your call with the client. Um, Barbara, thank you so much for joining. Um, any, any closing thoughts while I, I kind of wrap things up? Oh, no, this is, I really appreciate the opportunity. And I just remembered the, uh, the alum of Emory Gosweta school and it's, he's a CEO of Subway. Subway. Uh, it, was, it was in the food food business, so uh, I just wanted to circle back on that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate it. And, and one thing Barbara shared is, is connecting with her, like have an introductory conversation. There's some people that are, we, 95% of our people get to their dream school, and it's because they, they pre-qualify so much that they don't have a, a conversation that allows you to just help somebody that doesn't know where they're going. It only allows you to help the people that are perfect applicants, and I think that's where you become unique in that have an introductory conversation. Don't worry about having, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on testing and training and like address if it's the right choice for you then go accordingly and so um and that's all it comes down to i think at the end of the day and and the reason with first floor conversations the the whole thesis is the view at the top is only as good as the foundation which preserves it and a lot of really really talented people are starting to leverage and, and accelerating how they use education to be the foundation and that may be an mba it may be a master's it may be the network it may be the knowledge but Having somebody like Barbara and, and an expert that can help you figure out how to package and sell yourself makes all the difference. And so thank you so much for joining. Thank everybody thank for, uh, for the opportunity. Absolutely. And, and okay. thank you everybody for joining. We'll, uh, we'll stay tuned for more.